Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode of Jewel. Hi, Em. I can't believe they put on an entire Golden Globes just so we could see Rihanna. That's exactly how I felt. Huge Beyonce energy, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it's very intentional when an A-lister like that makes the choice to not walk the carpet and to kind of sneak in, which from the viewer perspective, it's such a gift because all of a sudden the camera's panning the room and then it just zooms in on Rihanna in this gorgeous black Scaparelli gown. Asap there too, looking very handsome, but I was completely focused on her. That was exactly, exactly the TikTok audio that's like, and we've all seen the pictures. She looks beautiful and um, he's there. <laughs> People always do that about paparazzi photos of Haley and Justin. I know. And it's like, I get it. But also like, there are better couples to use for an example like that. I think they say that because she'll walk out dressed to the nines in like an all leather outfit, YSL shoes, and he's in like hotel slippers, which... Again, I'm not knocking it. I am all for comfort, but I think that those are the times when people really utilize that audio. Justin's really in his like doesn't give a fuck phase where he's walking out in a knit blanket and the star pimple patches on his face. And I'm I'm not mad at it because I feel very inspired by it. I was going to say, you and I have walked out of this apartment on numerous occasions in that cozy or whatever that Shark Tank thing is, where it's basically like a giant tent blanket without even thinking twice of it, just on an edible. And we have none of the Justin Bieber accolades. So if I'm him worth however many hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, one of the notably best looking men in Hollywood, like married to Haley Bieber, I'm walking out whatever the fuck I want. I, I get it. I respect it. I guess the difference between I guess the difference between us and Justin is that if I walk out <laughs> in a pimple patch, I'm wearing the ones that blend into my skin. Right, where he's like proudly owning it. And it's almost an accessory of his outfit. I, he wore them to someone's birthday, like Billie Eilish's birthday party. He was there with three black star patches on his face. Yeah, see, to me, that's a move. I don't know. I, I just, I can't knock that. <laughs> you know what? It's either that you can't knock it or that I've so deeply influenced you into this Justin Bieber never ending era of mine that like you're now on board with that. Because if you didn't feel a certain way about Justin Bieber, you would have never, ever said that you were on board with it. I'm trying to think of somebody like equivalent walked out. You'd be like, that is so ridiculous. Okay. I want to talk about some of the best dresses of the night, which I would not say were plentiful. This was a struggling red carpet fashion wise. I wouldn't say that the looks were necessarily bad. I just felt overwhelmingly underwhelmed. Yeah, there was an intense level of mediocrity. But among that mediocrity, there were some that stood out. I thought Michelle Yeoh in that Armani Privé strapless sequin dress was out of control. Lily James in the red Versace. I loved Laverne Cox in the blue vintage Galliano. Michelle Williams in Gucci. 
you know, of course, Rihanna, as previously mentioned, there were a few that, that stood out. Angela Bassett. I wasn't into Jenna Ortega and Gucci because I am such a fan of hers and I think she is really about to be someone to follow in a huge way. Like I think she has really cemented herself with Wednesday, but I felt there were so many other options that she could have done. She's beautiful. She would look great in anything, but maybe there was something about the color. I don't know. I just didn't love it. I was reading a Twitter thread today about how a lot of people feel like Hollywood has not figured out how to dress shorter girls well. And they actually cited Sabrina Carpenter as a really good example of having figured that out. Wait. I swear I didn't make up the Sabrina Carpenter thing. No, no, no. I, I'm not saying that you did. But this is a game that Julie Isabel and I have just naturally started to play. And I have to imagine if you're listening to this podcast or if you are an avid listener to this podcast, you care about pop culture in the same way that we do. So you won't judge us for this and you'll acknowledge the delusion, but also maybe think it's a fun game to play with your friends. So this all started actually a while ago because we were saying, you know, if you're in the Kardashian family and a holiday like Christmas comes around, what are you supposed to get everyone, right? Like you are dealing with people that have anything and everything they could ever want for. So the choices have to be really unique. For example, when Chris got Courtney those animatronic dolls from the ride of Small World at Disneyland, which of course is very sentimental to Courtney, that type of thing. And so recently this thing happened where we'd be walking in the city and for example, we'd pass the Prada store and they had this beautiful, you know, sequin skirt and, and top display. And Julie's like, wow, that would look amazing on Sabrina Carpenter. And then slowly, like every clothing store we'd go to, Julie just completely naturally and without realizing would be picking out things that she thought Sabrina Carpenter would look good in. And so we've now developed this game, which is so fun, where it's like as you walk down the street or something you see online, picking out a gift for that specific celebrity as if you were in their inner circle and you're shopping for them for Christmas. And it is such a gratifying game for something that is so based in fantasy. Okay, this is so funny because it's also combining two different games. The first one, do you remember the origin of how this game started? With the Louis Vuitton horse for Kendall? Yeah, but I don't think it was a horse. I think it was a dog. It was like a Doberman Pinscher or something or like the type of dog that she has. And it was a Louis exhibit in at a hotel in Vegas and it was this dog. And I was like, this is what I would get Kendall. The Sabrina Carpenter game has kind of evolved from the fact that something I've started doing when I'm shopping to like almost avoid spending too much money on myself is to be like, that would look good on somebody else. So like I get the satisfaction of shopping without like buying it because I'm picking out somebody that it would work for. And so we've kind of combined the two games. It started with Prada. We were walking past the window of Prada and I saw this outfit. I was like, that would look so fucking sick on Sabrina Carpenter. And it's also a fun game, like switching it up with different celebrities because it's like the understanding of different celebrity style, like what would look good on their body type, like all of all of these different elements that go into this game. And Sabrina Carpenter in this current moment has become like the easiest person for me to play that game with. And so when I saw that thread on Twitter and it was kind of about Hollywood struggling to dress shorter women and Sabrina Carpenter was an example, I was dying because also last night I saw Sabrina Carpenter's Golden Globes after party and I was like, yep, that's exactly what I would have picked out for her to wear. Well, the funniest part about that is when we were walking that day and we run into Sydney, who's Julie's friend, my friend also, but like more so Julie's friend. And we separately realize that Julie has been doing this Sabrina Carpenter thing with everyone she's with. Like, it's not just an exclusive to me and Isabel thing. And, and Sydney's like, wait, she picked out outfits for Sabrina Carpenter with you too? But it's it's very fun. I highly recommend doing this. Just choose a few celebrities or you don't even have to have them in your mind. Just as you're walking and you're passing like the Bottega store and they have those gorgeous thigh high green boots that you're realistically not going to spend three grand on, but you know that Madison Beer would kill in them. Oh my God. Madison Beer would look so good in those. <laughs> Wasn't that a good, that one just came off the top of my head. That one just rolled off the tongue. Oh my God, she would literally look so sick in those. Like a little live action. <laughs> I also like using a little bit more of like a low-key obscure celebrity because like obviously if you're walking and like you're looking in the window of a store, every fucking thing you see is going to look good on Haley. There's no game there. But when you pick somebody like really random and you say to somebody like, that would look so sick on Sabrina Carpenter, they're like a little taken aback by the fact that you pulled that name out and then they take a second and agree with you. And that's like the full satisfaction of the game. Just a fun game. Highly recommend playing with your friends. Of course, needs to be played with people that will not judge your pop culture obsession and fully lean in with you, but really exciting way to pass the time. It's also not a game that you can force. You can't go looking for it. You can't walk into a store and say like, I'm going to pick out an outfit for somebody today. It's just when it catches your eye and you, you feel moved to say it. 
So Mother's Day is coming up, and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you, and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends, so... I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. Then the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code CELEBS. I'm not going to say this was the most thrilling award show I've seen, but I do think that compared to some previous years, it did hold its own. Some of my favorite moments were not only when Michelle Yeoh won in her entire speech and just, I think, kind of the shock and the excitement she was feeling, but when you see it's announced that she wins and Jamie Lee Curtis is sitting next to her and she just loses it. Like when you can feel the palpable excitement and pride from someone's friend in the audience or family or whoever it is, I think that's the kind of stuff that makes an award show fun to watch. And I felt that way specifically with the Abbott Elementary wins. Like that was so exciting and you could see how excited they all were for each other. Yes. And especially when, not to say each time a win happens, the person who wins isn't shocked and overwhelmingly grateful, but there's something about when one particular show continues to win, it's almost like everyone at the table gets into this stride of momentum in a not at all cocky way, just in a really fun way where it's like, you can imagine what the energy must feel like. I think it's pure adrenaline and you can totally pick up on that, even watching it from your couch. There was this amazing interaction that was posted on Twitter. I saw it on Complex this morning. And I believe it was the DM interaction between Quinta Brunson and Tyler James Williams from before the show when the show was first bought. And she DMs him and says, dude, I sold my show to ABC, the one I told you about. And he says, hell yeah. And she says, hope we still get to have you and hope you are well. And it was like a how it started versus how it's going and the two of them holding their Golden Globes, which is like, that is as amazing and full circle as something has ever been before. I think we've had this conversation before as it applies to celebrity relationships, meaning wanting to see the first ever interaction that one person sends another. I think it was sparked by when Kim was talking about texting Pete for the first time and we were saying like, what would you do to see that first text? But same thing applies for something like this. I want to see the first text, DM, email from agents or managers or whatever it is with co-stars or people just involved in the same project and how that all started. Like show me the first message that Mike White sent Jennifer Coolidge about it because it's true when you can really just see it in writing. I think it adds a whole other layer to the excitement that you feel for these people. In like normal people language, for like the normal people version of that, it's like when somebody posts their original hinge message, when they like get engaged. Right. And it's like slide one, hey, you got any plans for the weekend, which is maybe the most dreaded message you ever get on a dating app because it's what every single person leads with when they're messaging on a Thursday or Friday. And then slide two is like the engagement ring. And it's like, you know what? Sometimes 
I guess those very bland messages do have a positive result. I don't think there is any, like, I really, really mean this. I don't think that there's any way to message on a dating app that's like 100% guaranteed good, not made funnable. Made funnable. New word. I I saw a TikTok last night. I'll try to find the TikTok and put it in the description if I can, but it was basically this girl talking about the unfortunate realities of dating apps, which is if you were to meet some of these people that messaged you in real life, you'd probably be into them. You could have good small talk. You may be attracted to them, but there is something about receiving a message on a dating app that like uh, elicits this cringe factor, which is entirely unfair because in order to receive a message on a dating app, you yourself have to be on the dating app. It's very much a mutual game, but there's something about it that has this underlying element of cringe to it. And it's totally unfair to both parties. And I just think that it's it's a very true point. I think it's one of the reasons that people can be turned off to dating apps when it's the very thing that they want to assist them in finding a person. Like it's, it's just a, an interesting kind of concept. I don't know if I explained it that well. No, I mean, it is an interesting relationship with dating apps. And also, it's not just the initial message. I think it's also like the profile in general gives you so much more ability to judge cringe than you would in real life. But also in the past year, anytime I've asked somebody how someone met someone else, they have said hinge to me. No, that's what I'm telling you. It works for some people. I know so many couples that are engaged, some now happily married, totally met from dating apps. I think you and I, we've kind of strayed away from it because it just, for whatever reason, it it didn't feel like it was feeling right for us. But I know some people that really genuinely like it. And then I know some people that are even on the opposite end of the spectrum, like won't even open it, won't, will never have downloaded it because they just are kind of turned off by the whole thing. It's a very personal experience. And I also think it changes over time. I think you, you know, can go from really enjoying it to then feeling fatigue or swearing you were never going to join one and then joining and actually being pleasantly surprised. And, you know, that can change month to month. It's yeah, it's so, so personal. The issue is then if you're someone who is single and you would like to meet someone, you feel that the apps aren't for you. You're then confronted with the unfortunate but true reality, which is like, then guess you got to go out. You know, it's like, I think people have this idea that it's just going to happen, which sometimes it does, but other times it doesn't. Like you do need to put yourself in a situation where you're meeting people. And I think that that can sometimes in and of itself feel difficult because getting oneself to go out can at times be challenging. I don't know. I mean, I don't even know how we got here. It's a much more complicated subject that I could talk about forever, but (laughs) let's get back to the Globes. By the way, I could always end up there. That is like actually my every single day internal monologue. So like it's not, I don't even need to question how we got to that place of having that discussion because you can say any word and I will find a way to connect it to the fact of like, how are you supposed to meet people? Yeah. And you know what? I think that that's a really relatable experience for a lot of people. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like Generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like You shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Apartments.com believes the dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but 
When you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. I do want to talk about Austin Butler for a second. He won Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture Drama for Elvis. And I know we were talking about this a little bit on Monday's episode, just in terms of how he's kind of stuck talking like this. But you know what? What more fitting time to be slightly stuck speaking like Elvis Presley when accepting your Golden Globe for your portrayal of him and in that speech, personally thanking Lisa Marie and Priscilla? Like, you know what? Stay stuck like this because it's working for you. That's how I felt. You know what I was actually thinking about? All we do is talk about how we're stuck talking like your dad. And if we actually like method acted your dad for three years and spent every single day speaking only like him to prepare for the role, I promise you we'd be permanently stuck. We would never, ever, (laughs) ever, ever exist another day not using that voice. That is so true. How are we how are we going to give Austin Butler shit when we have fully transported ourselves back to 1950s Brooklyn as a 70-year-old man recounting his stories? Like that, we we have no ground to stand on. We are just as guilty. I promise you, one thing I'm not going to do is give Austin Butler shit. Oh my god, M. By the way, that video that I guess is from after the Golden Globes. I don't know if it's at an after party or right after he'd won and Kaya Gerber was there of them kissing outside. I can't tell you how many times I've watched that. No, they are a stunning couple. And I know we were talking about that a little bit on Monday's episode because there were other photos of them. But as a side for a second, I always think about that, whether it's athletes, you know, someone winning a tennis match or scoring a touchdown or whatever this giant milestone is. Like I think about the Super Bowl or the World Cup and in general, you know, the exhilarating feeling. But then when you see that person with their partner after the fact, like what that must be like when they go home, not only the sex that they're probably going to have that evening, but just in general, like you are feeling so excited and so proud and you are with this person that you are so happy to celebrate with. And like, that's why I love seeing these moments because it has that similar energy of like, you are on top of the world and then you're met with the person that you want to be standing on top of the world with. And just what that feeling is, it's one that I don't think you can probably communicate effectively ever. I have chills right now, honestly. Right? Thinking about that. That is crazy. Wait, you know what we have to, have to, have to talk about? Mm. the Hollywood Reporter roundtable discussion where Austin Butler is talking about the role of Elvis. Yes, I really want to get into that. So there is this now viral video from August 2019, which we'll put the links in the description in case anyone hasn't seen it. But it's Vanessa Hutchins co-hosting live with Kelly and Ryan with Ryan Seacrest. She's taking Kelly's spot for the day. And they're talking about how Austin Butler had just been cast in the role of Elvis. And at the time, as we know, they were dating. Their relationship began in 2011. They broke up in 2020. So this was towards the end of their relationship. They were very much dating. And she's talking about how you know, he had just dyed his hair black. He's naturally a brunette. And she hears him singing Blue Christmas and she just looks over at him and she's like, babe, you got to play Elvis. Like, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm telling you, you need to play Elvis. And this clip now, of course, has gone entirely viral because people are saying it's maybe as though she manifested the role. Again, that was August, 2019. They broke up in January, 2020. So she was with him when he got the role, but you know, they hadn't been together, of course, when the entire process started. Anyway, recently, just a few days ago, this Hollywood Reporter video came out where it's a round table and he's talking about that exact moment. And he says, you know, I was singing Blue Christmas and my friend heard me singing it and they said to me, you have to play Elvis. And so he tells the exact same story, but he very conveniently says, my friend, which I don't know if he knew that Vanessa had told that story so everyone knew that it was her. It's so minor and it doesn't matter. I don't even necessarily blame him for not calling her out by name, but it was just so interesting to know, like we have heard this story before and we know exactly who it was and how it happened. I also feel like she's told that story on Not Just Ryan. Like I feel like, I don't know, that story has just come up a lot to the point where when you hear him say my friend, we're all like, oh my God. Like, I know he didn't mean it in any sort of shade. It just comes off so shady to refer to Vanessa Hudgens as your friend. 
Yeah, but I don't think it was necessarily shady. I mean, it was very much a choice. He specifically didn't want to mention her name, but I don't know if he knew just how familiar the internet was with that video and would watch his Hollywood Reporter video and immediately know, wait a second, he's talking about Vanessa Hutchins and he purposely decided to not say her name. To me, I think it was an intentional omission, but I, I don't think that it was like with ill intent. No, I don't think so either. I, I definitely don't think it was with malintent. I just think that it was a really funny way of telling a story we've already heard, especially for Austin Butler, who's like really getting it on the internet right now because he can't drop the Elvis voice and he's becoming so severely the butt of the joke for that to then throw on top like a Vanessa Hudgens slight, we can call it, was just like, it really added some fuel to that fire. Yeah. And I do kind of wonder how connected he is or he may be to the discourse around him, which is, I think, at the root of it, playful. I don't think it's meant to be malicious. I genuinely think that it's playful. The the guy's on top of the world right now. I don't think that, you know, people potentially making fun of him for being stuck in this accent is really cutting deep. If anything, you know, he's so clearly the one quote winning. But yes, I, I do... I do wonder that. And like I said to you on Monday, for a relationship that existed so much longer than most Hollywood relationships, it has somehow been really wiped from, not memory, but really wiped from the conversation. And then every so often we're seeing two things. Number one, the resurfacing of that Vanessa Hutchins clip. And number two, the photo of Vanessa Hutchins years ago meeting Kaya Gerber as a child who is now Austin Butler's current girlfriend. And those two things pop up every so often. And then you're just reminded of like the comedic element of all of this. You know, there's a part of me that wonders how aware Austin Butler is of the discourse online. And obviously, to a certain extent, he is aware of it because he has acknowledged the fact that he's stuck in this voice. But like, I think that online, we seem to be having a lot of fun with the many elements of Austin Butler as Elvis. You know, the calling back of the Vanessa Hudgens interview, talking about him referring to her as a friend, the picture of Vanessa Hudgens and Kaya Gerber meeting, the fact that, you know, Austin Butler really got his start on The Carrie Diaries and Zoe 101 and Disney Channel, like all of the elements that have added up into the making of Austin Butler as Elvis has been something that we've all really had a good time with. And so there's a part of me that hopes he really isn't at all intimately aware of it, because I think that one of the things with celebrities that we talk about a lot in terms of them you know, maybe holding back online a little bit or not leaning into things as much as they used to is the fact that they're so aware of that and they can't really handle the discourse online or they don't want to be the butt of the joke of the discourse online. But for us, it's like if Austin Butler became so aware of it that he stopped doing it or he stopped giving interviews, like that would be so boring for us. Like I love when celebrities lean in, even if they're not purposely doing it. But I don't necessarily think that him or anyone else having an awareness, even an intimate awareness with what's being said online automatically implies that they would then pull back from that very thing that's being talked about. I think it is so dependent on the person and almost their threshold for playfulness because a lot of this stuff is not malicious at all. I mean, it's it's just funny in nature because of the Disney Channel star, but you can't knock that. You got to start somewhere and look at what it's done for him. I, I am much more interested in what people are consuming and then what they do with that consumption. For example, like let's take Kim. I think Kim out of the entire family is the one that probably knows the most what's being said about her. Maybe she doesn't read her comment section, but I think everything else, like I envision Kim Kardashian searching her name on Twitter the same way she did back in 2010, for example, when she said on that episode of Kardashians that she was the most Googled person that week on Google Images. Like, I genuinely think Kim derives a lot of her power and the way she's able to maintain this parasocial relationship with her audience by understanding the discourse that's going on online about her, even the playful one. I'm not talking about the times when she's really getting slammed. And so- I think it depends on that person's willingness to see that, accept it, and then lean in. I don't always think that it it implies, you know, a total like um, departure from it. And I don't know Austin Butler's personality enough to know whether he would maybe want to lean into that. But I do kind of think there's something to be said for like when you get to a certain point where you are so clearly and objectively winning. I'm sure you take what people are saying when you can tell that it's not malicious a little bit later because at the end of the day like maybe that's just adding to your relevance this is such an interesting discussion i am so glad that we're having it because this is so multi-layered for example you take somebody like kim 
no matter what is going on in her life, she is someone that deeply relies on the relevance that the internet gives her. And so even if they're making fun of her, even if they're laughing with her, laughing at her, whatever it is, she has to, for the sake of her career, either allow it to happen or play into it because her entire career is dependent on relevance. Whereas somebody like an Austin Butler, and I don't know how he's reacted to that so far, we haven't fully seen it, his career isn't necessarily dependent on relevance because his career is dependent on talent. And so it then creates a different sort of relationship with the internet. What you see often in terms of stars either holding back or not giving as much as they used to or being really, really overly aware of what the internet is going to say about them involves another really important factor here, which is their ego. Sometimes it's not mean. Sometimes it's not meant to be hurtful. But when you see the entire internet kind of jokingly making fun of you, even if you know it's going to pass, you get a little ego hurt. And so the next time you go to tweet about something or add your two cents to something that you maybe don't necessarily need to, but you're kind of playing along with it, you hold back a little out of fear of what the internet is going to attach themselves to. And that's something that's funny about the internet and something that's funny about Twitter and TikTok is like, you don't know necessarily what they're going to take and run with. And so I think that celebrities, especially ones whose ego has the chance of being a little bit more bruised or they care a little bit more about their ego being bruised, those are the people that tend to hold back a little bit. And so if Austin Butler were to say like, you know what, I'm like kind of done with this discourse, I don't think it would necessarily be because his feelings got hurt. I think it would be because he was a little ego hurt by the discourse. Right. But the thing with that is when you really think about it, and again, you can't tell someone when their ego should or should not be bruised, but it's almost a hilarious concept in nature because in order for your ego to be bruised about the entire internet talking about you, the entire internet needs to be talking about you, which in theory would be the thing that would actually build up your ego and perhaps inflate it to an almost unmanageable degree and probably inflate it so much to the point where your ego then gets bruised by knowing that people are talking about you. It's very um, cyclical because the entire thing requires having an ego in the first place, you know? And like, I don't, I think you could be the most humble celebrity when you have hundreds of thousands of people praising you. And again, not to say that there are not people coming down on you, but in general, when your presence and just your general being has somehow been decided by Hollywood or by the fans or by whoever that you are quote one of the one of the greatest. You are worthy of awards. You are worthy of this level of fame. Like, I think you get a little bit of an ego, no matter how grounded you are. And so, watching someone process that, yes, it's very interesting. An example different than what we're talking about, but just follow my thought process here because I think you'll agree. Remember when there was that whole conversation online about like the quote best Chris, and it was like Chris Evans, Chris Pratt, Chris Hemsworth. And Chris Pratt not only gets offended by that, Catherine Schwarzenegger, his wife, gets very upset about it to the point where she actually makes a statement about it, which is like so, when you really think about it, ridiculous in nature. You're saying that your husband is one of the most well-paid actors in the game, one of the most famous people. And yes, among the Chris's, he has been decided by the audience as ranking the lowest, not necessarily for his acting abilities, not for his looks, just kind of for the way that people feel he interacts with the world. Yet that is so deeply offensive. And it's like, what are we talking about here? You're pissed that Chris Evans came in first? Like you have to be one of the most well-known Chris's in the entire world to even be having that conversation about. Like the whole thing is so twisted when you really get into it. But that's the funniest part about it is like the exact reaction that he has to the ranking of the Chris's is why he's ranked so low in the Chris's. Like it's this it's this cycle. And the thing is, there is no celebrity, especially male celebrities, that is exempt from having an ego. They all have one. Every single last person in Hollywood has an ego. The discussion and the question is more about the fragility of that ego rather than the existence of it in the first place. And you can see somebody like Chris Pratt clearly has a very fragile ego, whereas like other celebrities who can really play into the joke well have still have an ego, but it clearly doesn't get bruised as easily. But it's funny because... 
Finding balance as a celebrity in terms of the way the internet feels about you has to be one of the hardest things that you can do. And I don't think it's something that's even teachable, but I think at like the baseline of it, it's almost like you can work the system if you give the internet something to talk about and you allow them to like be fueled and then you don't respond in any sort of a way that makes it worse or you don't respond at all. Right. And I unfortunately don't think that there is a handbook on exactly the right way to handle it. I think it is so circumstantial and really dependent on the person and dependent on what the internet decides that they're going to latch onto that day because it is constantly ever changing, which is why I always say fame, which I know is something people dream of achieving is something I would not wish on my worst enemy. To me, I think it is one of the most terrifying existences one could have. And I understand people do it and continue to do it and continue to strive for it because it affords them a lifestyle and a luxury that they would not be able to have otherwise. And I get it. I mean, I totally see the appeals, but I think the fear of it is just a deep repellent to ever want to immerse oneself in that. But again, it depends on the person. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit, ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, co-insurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. In terms of the conversation of like how big one's ego gets, Jennifer Coolidge is a really good example of this because she is someone who has always, I would say, been regarded as kind of an icon, but recently with White Lotus, it's taken her to the next level, which she spoke about in her speech kind of dedicated to Mike White, which I want to get into. But I think what's so great about her is that you can tell she's having an understanding of where she now sits in Hollywood, which I think from her perspective is different than where she sat in the past. But I think she's getting a kick out of everyone getting a kick out of her because this is genuinely her. You know, it's not only people being really taken by her talent. That's one thing. But it's people getting a kick out of who she is. Whereas if you take Austin Butler, for example, they're responding directly to what they've seen in his talent and then also the way that what he's taken from that role has now 
like permanently been latched to himself with the accent and all of that. Whereas Jennifer Coolidge, yeah, we love her as Tanya, but we're obsessed with Jennifer Coolidge as Jennifer Coolidge. And what to her is just herself. Yet we can't get over that this is how someone exists. And to me, I haven't seen that kind of impact her ego in a way that it is all a turnoff because I think she just can't believe like, what's everyone talking about here? This is just me. Completely, completely, completely. And I was the point that I was going to bring up once we got to the Jennifer Coolidge section, which I'm just so thrilled to be here now, is that I, in all of the Jennifer Coolidge discussion over the past couple of years, never stopped for one second to consider Jennifer Coolidge's view on things. Like, I, okay. I know that she has spoken about how things were a little bit stagnant or a little bit even dead for her over the past couple of years. And then she got that call from Ariana Grande or the DM from Ariana Grande about being in the Thank You Next video. And it kind of gave her this resurgence. And I think I understood that on some level, but I don't think I truly understood the impact that it had and the way that she viewed her career in that standstill point and then like the rejuvenation of it. And so what you're saying about her ego and it not impacting her ego too much. One, I think that Jennifer Coolidge is somebody who is just who she is through and through. Like, yes, of course. First of all, everybody has an ego. Like it, it, no one famous or not famous is exempt from that. But there's something about Jennifer Coolidge where she just is so herself throughout every single thing she does and every single character she plays that ego just doesn't have a piece of that or so it seems to us. The second piece of that is that what you're seeing her respond to and what you're seeing her really put on display now is this overwhelming gratitude for being in a new part of her career. And so that humbles her in a way that like, I think just adds to how much we love her. Like we would have loved her regardless. I think that who she is, is somebody that like we as an audience just so fucking connect to. But then on top of that, you have this humbling aspect to her. And as the audience, like now you're just rooting for her like unconditionally. Well, that is exactly what I was going to say. What I think is so unique about her is here Jennifer Coolidge is on stage accepting the Golden Globe for her role in one of the you know, highest performing shows of the last few years, yet somehow we are still viewing her as somewhat of an underdog because in the same breath that she's accepting this award, she's saying, you know what? I'll do as many American pies as they'll have me for. You know, she's standing up there and she is Jennifer Coolidge. She is Tanya in HBO's biggest hit. At the same time though, she's Stifler's mom and she knows that. And she's thanking Reese Witherspoon for Legally Blonde. And those are the things where you are confronted with her level of celebrity and her success at the same time, you're now getting a, I think, a much more clear understanding of how this must all feel for her. And she says in her speech to him, which, by the way, spoiler alert for White Lotus season two in it, but she says, you've given me a new beginning, even if this is the end, because you did kill me off. It, it doesn't matter. Even if this is the end, you changed my life in a million different ways. My neighbors are speaking to me and things like that. I mean it. I was never invited to one party on my hill and now everyone's invited me. I just, you know, it's to you, Mike White. This is something all of you, if you don't know Mike White, this is what you should know. He's worried about the world. He's worried about people. He's worried about friends of his that aren't doing well. He's always worried about people. You're worried about animals. And he really is one of the greatest people I've ever met. He gives me so much excitement to be. You make people want to live longer. And I didn't. And I just thought that was such a beautiful and honest speech with a woman who was so clearly in touch with the gratitude that she's feeling. And it's like when she's saying that and she's saying the thing about being invited to these parties on the hill. As she's talking, you're forgetting, wait a second, in order to, to know that these are your neighbors, you yourself have to be living amongst this like supreme wealth. Yet for a second, you forget that. For a second, you're like rooting for this underdog that's finally invited to the A-list parties. It's, it's so, to carve out that space for oneself in Hollywood and to be able to maintain humility and have people rooting for you while you're already succeeding in such a big way is so specific. And there are so few people that can do that. And she is one of them. I think there's also something with Jennifer Coolidge where like you forget that she's a real person and because every character she plays is so exactly who she is as a person, you kind of confuse the two and you think that she's playing a character rather than playing herself. And so there was something about that speech and the acknowledgement of what Mike White has done for her and the acknowledgement of the way the internet and people and fans have really taken to her where you had this moment where you're like, her characters are her. She's not a character. She's a real person. And that's what kind of caught me off guard about the whole thing. 
Yeah, I, I was so happy for her. And I would have been whether or not I had seen White Lotus. Of course, that enhanced it. But just in general, I think she has really carved out a specific part of Hollywood. And we are all just overwhelmingly excited for her. Also, this is different, but Eddie Murphy accepting the uh, Cecil B. DeMille Award. I don't know how to explain this in a way that doesn't feel like overly dramatic, but I'm hoping that someone can relate. You know when you would watch award shows as a kid with your parents or a song would come on the radio and you would see that they had a real understanding of these people that they regarded as icons and that you just weren't that familiar with. And they would say, oh my God, forget about it in my day, you know, whoever the person was. And as I was watching this montage of Eddie Murphy and Dr. Doolittle, for example, like that movie raised me, I was realizing like my kids and just the next generation, they will never understand the impact that Eddie Murphy had on entertainment in the way that we do, which of course is something that happens every generation. But it was one of the first times when I was really having an awareness of that. And it made me strangely emotional. Is that bizarre? No. Okay. Here's the thing. I agree in terms of like specifically Eddie Murphy. Like he has been in so many iconic things, Coming to America, Dream Girls, like fucking Daddy Daycare. Like there is, the list goes on and on. But there is a specific power that those montages have during award shows that will make you regard anybody who's being like portrayed in one as like the ultimate celebrity, ultimate talent, ultimate icon of a generation. Like uh, even Ryan Murphy, for example, who I think that like <laughs> is another example of somebody that gets made fun of a little bit on the internet. I was watching that montage and I was like, oh my God. Ryan Murphy is our greatest gift. There's just something about seeing an artist's work laid out to you in that sort of a way where it's just iconic thing after iconic thing after iconic performance after like box office movie hit, TV show, like whatever it is that like makes you reevaluate them as a talent. And it's like really like presented to you right there. And you're like, they're the greatest talent of our generation. Like those montages have like a very specific superpower. There is a power of a montage that does not just exist in Hollywood award shows, because I'll tell you something. We are now, from the time that we grew up to now, think about the technological advances that we have made. We were just talking about this recently. They're overwhelming. Yet, it is a reason that at a bar mitzvah, at a bat mitzvah, what are they doing? A fucking montage. There's a power about a montage. It elicits an emotional reaction from people that you want, whether it's to make the audience feel like the person that's being praised is worthy of that praise, or it's just to get people to cry. Whatever it is, it works. That combination of a slideshow of photos and videos, slap a little music on and call that a performance. And it's really, really true. The art of the montage is not lost on me and it's not lost on Hollywood and they do it for a reason. I mean, if I could share with you all my grandparents' 65th anniversary montage, I, I would. Like, I, I can't, you're 100% right. It's like to see photos or like someone's life laid out in that sort of a format, it really, really hits you. I think it doesn't just hit you as the viewer when you're watching it, or at least for me, I'm also thinking, how does it feel as them watching it? And then if it's a person that has children, how does it feel for their children or their parents to watch it? Because to me, like, that is the ultimate pride. Imagine you're Eddie Murphy's kid, one of his 10 kids. Like You're like, holy shit, that's my dad. I, I just think that's really cool. And I, you know, I know Hollywood is, to bring it all back, is full of inflated egos and oftentimes praise is given undeservingly and specifically far more than maybe other industries that deserve it tenfold more. And that is true. But there is something about you know, seeing work presented in that way that really does just remind you of the impact that some of these people have made on entertainment. And, and you know, in your darkest day, when you're sad or you're upset, what do you want to do? You want to listen to music. You want to watch a TV show. You want to watch a movie to take your mind off of it. And these are the people that allow you to really be taken into that world. And it's something that does deserve acknowledgement, not the type of acknowledgement that it gets maybe like... <laughs> Why do we have a podcast to discuss all of it? I don't know, because we're obsessed. But like, it's true. There, there's something to be said for that. And I, I liked, I don't know. I just liked watching Eddie Murphy except, except that. And a little Will Smith callback. And a little Will Smith callback. That was actually funny, I, I would say. I've seen that a lot on Twitter too. People saying like, that was one of the few jokes that we've seen that has actually like really nailed it. But going back to your earlier point of what you were just saying, I think if there is one thing that we have constantly tried to get across in this podcast even in like our acknowledgement of how ridiculous it is sometimes and how ridiculous the way we talk about these things are sometimes, 
The one thing that I am very, very serious about is the fact that you can never underestimate the importance of escapism. And I think that that's exactly what we're seeing here. Like when you praise a actor or an actress or an artist, a singer in that sort of a way where you almost take a second and you're like, why am I giving them the accolades in that way? I think it's because the escapism that they provide you with can't be undervalued. One million percent. And even if you really zoom in, like just on us, like I'm just talking to you about this right now, forget about the praising of celebrities. Even if you want to just take us and our fascination with this so much to the point where we created a podcast, which you know, hopefully if we're lucky and I think that we have been that people can view just listening to other celebrity obsessed people talk about it maybe as escapism, but just for you and I to be able to do it. And I always go back to this, which I, I, I know it's repetitive, but like it has literally changed my life. The only, and I say this to you, Julie, consistently because it's true. I genuinely believe that the grieving process of mourning the loss of my mom would have been significantly different and significantly harder if we had not started the podcast a month before she died. We started this podcast a month and a half before she died. And knowing two weeks after her death, I was going to come into the office and I was going to interview Lisa Rinna or whatever you know it was, it, it allowed me to not escape from the fact that she just died. Obviously, I'm aware of that every single day of my life, but it allowed me to put some of my energy into something else that may seem mindless, but actually felt really productive for me. And that is why I feel such a deep gratitude for the escapism that this podcast brings us, even though of course now it's become our full-time job and it's a job like we, you know, you would view anything else. I, I'm really in touch with that for myself. And so like, I, in addition to what you just said on like a personal level, I really, really feel that deeply. Oh my God. And I'm really in touch with that for you too. Like I, I, I really, really don't ever underestimate or discount that fact because I do personally feel so intimately aware of that for you. I also think it's not even just discussing it, like you and I coming on here and talking about things in a way where it's like, okay, this is a little much sometimes. Like it's not even the fact that we have the ability or the want to do that. It's literally just observing that also is a level of escapism, whether it's watching a movie, watching a TV show, listening to music, scrolling Twitter, scrolling TikTok, watching Alex Earl videos. Like there is just something about it that like it, it is really a service that is provided to you. No, I hear you. And I feel that so deeply. Also, I see you with that casual Alex Earl mention. We'll get into that on Monday because when I saw Josh Richards on the carpet in that pinstripe Dior suit with like the Jill Sander glittery crop top, I'm just thinking to myself, God, TikTok is making its way in. And I bet you, I would be shocked if Alex Earl's not on the BFFs podcast sometime in the very near future. It's a whole separate, whole separate tangent incoming. We can save for Monday if anyone has any interest. But like, just know if you were wondering if Julie and I are deep in Alex Earl TikTok, the answer is a resounding yes. Oh, like maybe too resounding of a yes, but yes, we are, we are fully immersed. Oh God. Yeah. But we'll, we will definitely get into that discussion. It's one that I would like to have if anyone else is interested. People must be interested because they're, she's growing like, a, you know, millions of followers by the month. It's similar to like an Addison model, but we will get into that. And is there anything else you want to mention? I think that's it. I mean, listen, I know the Golden Globes weren't what they once were all award shows weren't but I have to say my last final statement on this is like I think that award shows can get back to a place where they're like it if the celebrity attendance is there I think the bigger the celebrities I think the most celebrities in the room that most high caliber level of celebrities really influences the way that we feel about an award show and I kind of was really picking that up and I was like if we could just keep increasing the star power I just think that's how we get back to the place with award shows that we used to be. Yeah. And also Angela Bassett just always being there, like no matter whether she's nominated or not, there's something about her presence that I think really elevates the room. That picture of her and Rihanna kind of took me out. Took me out. No, I know. Okay. Well, we love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for letting us do this. Isabel and I will be back for Bravo. We have to talk about that Ultimate Girls Trip Pass that was released. Holy shit. And I think that's it. We love you guys. Thanks for letting us do this. 